So this past weekend was a big time in the life of this congregation, especially because of these two people. Many of you know about Lee a week ago last Friday, clearing the final hurdle that allowed her to become a fellowshipped, no longer just candidate, soon to be minister, soon to be the Reverend Lee Allison Paxula. The person standing next to her, our prior intern, who some of you might know, might remember, Greg Pelly, who was called, and although it sounds somewhat mechanical language, it's actually a really meaningful ritual, installed at the congregation that he now serves down in Delaware. Greg was with us from 2011 to 2013. So you'll see what I posted there on Facebook. This was about Sunday at about 6.30, actually 5.51 exactly. I should look at the timestamp. Best weekend ever. It had been a long weekend, so really what I, I, I meant to do was like, as you sometimes, best period, weekend, period, ever, period. That's what I meant. So go with that reading. Best weekend ever for Wellsprings interns, past and present. Hashtag proud supervisor. And here's the thing. I am incredibly proud of Lee and Greg, both as students and now as colleagues. But what I'm proud of them for is not that Lee passed the test or Greg got the call. No, really the reason that I admire them so much and I'm proud to call them my colleagues, it really doesn't have to do with grades or honors. It has to do that these two people are people who are living in blessing. They are two people who are growing their own lives and through that capacity for their own development are helping to create space for other people to grow their lives. They remind me of this wonderful quote by a guy named Howard Thurman, who some of you might know as a universalist theologian and also one of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s teachers. He said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive. Because in the end, what the world needs is people who have come alive. This is why I admire Greg and Lee so much. And this is what reminds me of today's story with Soul. It is a spare, bare little fable about this person, Annabelle. The story is called Extra Yarn. And she exists in this world that is drab and colorless. Everything is a hue of brown or white and dingy at best. If any of you have ever been to the former Iron Curtain, the 1970s, I wasn't. I was all of eight or ten back then. But that's what I picture, a place that has kind of had all the life, all the colors sucked out of it. And Annabelle one day finds that she has this magical box of yarn that just shows up. And what does she do with this magical box of yarn? She knits herself a sweater which in this world that she lives in is an incredibly controversial thing to do. The world that she lives in, to borrow a phrase from Rabbi Ed Friedman, who I've been reading a lot of recently and who writes about anxious systems, cultures in which kind of the playfulness has been drowned or drained out of them. He talks about societies or cultures that are imaginatively gridlocked, stuck can't find their way forward. 
One of the hallmarks, Dr. Friedman said, of an imaginatively stuck or gridlock system is that everything is serious all of the time. How can you tell an imaginatively gridlocked system or family or congregation or business or culture? There is no playfulness. That's what Annabelle's world is like until she gets the magic box of yarn and she starts to knit sweaters for everyone, including her dog, Mars. Now, some of you, I know your dogs wear sweaters. (laughs) Some of you have, I won't name who, it was lovely though, gave us, you're laughing right now, so you're giving yourself away. Gave us a sweater for one of our pet rabbits. This is a wonderful thing. Here's the thing. With Annabelle's world, she starts creating sweaters for everything. She goes to school, and what they tell her is that we cannot learn, Annabelle, because your sweater is too loud, too colorful, too bright. And so what does she do? She starts creating sweaters for everyone in town. And they start smiling. They start coming alive. She starts sharing her gift. And here's the cool thing. It says all throughout the book, she didn't know a sweater for this person or for this creature. And there was still more yarn. Never ending box of yarn. She even knits sweaters for things that don't wear sweaters. (laughs) This formerly drab, dingy, depressed, playless place starts to get unstuck, starts to experience creativity, starts to know once again what it is to have the color come back into their lives, their hearts, and their souls. Reminds me of something that I've been seeing on my Facebook feed recently. And in fact, I've been seeing it for years now. And I think it has to do with this feeling of being imaginatively stuck with one of the most important parts of our culture, which is how not just we raise our kids, but how we educate them. I've been hearing for a very long time, and I know some of you, this is right in the heart of your life, about this issue with the mandatory testing and the excessive testing and the testing that seems like it's teaching to the test. And I've heard about this from parents, and I've heard about this from kids, and I've heard about this from teachers as well, too, that it feels like all of the color is being drained out of their lives, all the creativity, all of the playfulness. And here's the interesting thing. This testing regime or these testing regimes, it's not just about our schools anymore, it appears. I have, I think, uh, five or six uh, medical doctor friends on my Facebook feed as well, too. And it appears this is part of their lives as well. I heard from one of them this past week who gave me permission to tell his story. The background to this is this is a guy who I think is about my age, maybe a little bit older, late 40s, early 50s, has been a doctor for a while, is well-respected in his field, and recently had to take a very expensive recertification exam which he felt did nothing whatsoever to identify his strength or weaknesses as a doctor. It just was a hoop he had to jump through. And he put it this way. My utility as a physician comes from knowing sick from not sick, taking an accurate history, knowing what to look up and where, knowing who to consult and when. This is not measured by this recertification exam. This exam measured my ability to memorize minutiae, a skill which, like my 40-something hairline, is quickly receding. (laughs) 
We can take out the doctor part and add in the kid part. And we see some of the same dynamic. An anxiety, perhaps, about who is really educated and how. And around that anxiety, we see perhaps an attempt to kind of lock it down. To really identify who knows what they're doing. What my friend also said in his post is that all the stuff that really counts about him being a doctor, listening to his patients, practicing presence, having a good bedside manner, knowing when he has reached the limits of what he knows and learning to ask for help, all the things that make him a creative medical doctor and a caring medical doctor, these are things not covered at all by this particular exam. By the way, I'm not against toughness or challenge or knowing things, certainly. What I am against is stress and things that cost money and take time that don't really teach us anything, that squelch our innate capacity for growth and creativity rather than liberating it. I mean, this is one of the things that our tradition, this Unitarian Universalist tradition, really says is most important about us, that it is natural for us to grow, it is natural for us to know, and that in fact there is joy in our human development, rather than something that should feel like it has to be done by rote, rather than something that feels like just another competition. I mean, right now in our society, I say this guiltily as a sports fan, we love competition. We love to identify the winners. We love to identify the most valuable players, people, persons. We love competition. But I don't know how much we love playfulness anymore. We love winners. But playfulness is something different. One of the reasons why this spare bear little story, it's like you've got to fill in the meaning gaps in this wonderful little story, extra yarn, the the persona of the competitiveness is this fellow who is the archduke (laughs) those of you who are um, children of the 70s or early 80s like me or raised kids during the 70s or 80s remember snidely whiplash okay (laughs) like you know twirling his his mustache snidely whiplash well here's the thing with the archduke he loves clothing yes even clothing that's on cars he wants the magic box of yarn for himself and so he says little girl i will offer you one million dollars for your box of yarn so i can dress myself in the way that i want to and she said no two million dollars little girl no ten million dollars little girl no And so what the Archduke does, in the middle of the night, he puts a ladder up to the second floor of Annabelle's house. He has thieves crawl in through that, and he steals it. He takes the magic box of yarn back to his land across the sea. He seals himself up in his castle, and he opens up the box. No yarn. And in anger, he hurls it out of the window and he says, little girl, I curse you with my family's powerful curse. Now we get to the end of the book and Annabelle is sitting there knitting one more thing. The curse didn't take. Here, I think, is the the great and sad irony is Annabelle would have gladly knit the Archduke a sweater. Just like she knit everyone else a sweater. She has imagination and curiosity, and playfulness. 
The thing about the Archduke, and I think this gets to the heart of the difference between competitiveness and playfulness, is that the means by which he wants what he wants defeats him from ever having what he desires. He is stuck. He cannot imagine gifts being shared. He cannot imagine a wonderful little phrase from the Hindu tradition that I did not know until very recently. The words in Sanskrit are this, Vishnu Lila or Vishnu Lila which translate to roughly in English, the playfulness of God. How many of you grew up in a tradition in which you heard about the playfulness of God? Not me. The wrath of God, the work of God, the will of God, but the playfulness of God. Such playfulness, I think, we feel in our lives when we remember exactly what Annabelle does, which is our capacity to do things that are good for nothing. I learned that phrase from a professor of mine in seminary. who She said that all the most wonderful things in life are essentially good for nothing. They're just good. <laughs> this is why Annabelle creates sweaters. She gives off her gifts and other people benefit. She is a good for nothing, and that is wonderfully good. See, we never get any answers about where the magic box of yarn comes from or why it never runs out of yarn. I think it's because she's coming alive. And when we come alive, we touch something deep and inexhaustible within our lives that just keeps going and going and going. And when we live from that place, we give other people permission to do the same. To me, I love this book because it's kind of like a modern retelling of the loaves and fishes story from the New Testament. How are you going to feed the 5,000, Jesus? Take these five fish, five loaves. You'll get it done. And there you go. It's done. Don't ask me how. I don't know. But after extra yarn, maybe I do. Maybe it's about the willingness to be playful. Maybe it's about the connection. As we talk about in our core beliefs here at Wellsprings, about our ability to cultivate abundance and joy. I think Extra Yarn gets at that connection. When we live from a place of joyfulness, when we live from a place of playfulness, we might realize that what we have, even if we think it is objectively meager, is in fact something that can be shared and can help other people's lives grow as well. And if we live from a place of no joy or no playfulness or stuckness or chronic anxiety, however much we have, even objectively if it's a lot, it will never be enough for us. I love that this little book and Annabelle make the kind of sense that first appears as nonsense. That helps us look at our lives differently when we choose to engage that playfulness that perhaps sit right, sits right at the heart of our creation, right at the heart of our lives. I experienced this a couple of years ago in the monthly mindfulness teachers group that I gather with. And just let me give you a little bit of perspective on who this group is. Half of the six, eight of us at times in this group are people with PhDs. These are some smarty pants. Uh, these, this mindfulness group, you know, sometimes mindfulness gets like this, this bad rap, this stereotype as just for, you know, upper middle class people or middle class people to get us to be peaceful and get a little bit of peace, a little bit of serenity now, and then move on right with the rest of our stressful lives. Well, let me tell you about the people in this group. The people in this group teach and live mindfully with people who are living with addictions. 
with people who have just been released from prison, with opiate-addicted new and expected moms. This is not about people taking a little mindful vacation. (laughs) This is about learning to transform the fact that life is sometimes incredibly painful and still cultivate curiosity, perhaps even cultivate a sense of playfulness. Sometimes when we're stressed out, we just keep going and going and grinding and grinding, and we wonder why the dynamic never changes. To leave time for playfulness may be an answer about how to change our perspective upon our lives. I experienced this in that group when we had a kind of meditation, kind of mindfulness meditation that I never experienced before. Meditation with balloons. For 25 minutes, we just passed a balloon around the circle and breathed with it and noticed what came up. And what I'm thinking right now is that talking about playing with balloons is not nearly as good as actually playing with balloons. Please, play with your balloons. Notice, is this what you thought was going to happen today when you came to Wellsprings? Anything is possible, that's right. Uh, We're low on balance, this happened the first time. What, What is it with the air going over here? It's like three... Pass that over to these folks here. They're looking a little playless over here. They're looking a little bit like before Annabelle came to town. Notice, you're an adult and some kids sitting here playing with balloons right now. Notice how you feel. Notice perhaps what's on your faces. Notice how your body feels. Folks, don't hoard the balloons. <laughs> don't forget about the, the folks in the front here. So sometimes I like to ask people, have you played today? And even if you didn't play before you came here, now you're playing. Did someone step on the balloon? Keep it going. (laughs) Again, just be aware. Maybe look at the faces of the people around you. And ask yourself this question. Before you learned how to work, you probably learned how to play. All the best work, all the best energy is at its best about creativity and playfulness. (laughs) I knew what I was doing. Here's the thing. You are listening to me. It's not about the words. It's about the look on your faces. And it's about, yes, for a moment right now, bringing the balloons back down to earth. (laughs) And just stop for a second. And just notice what's here and how you feel. Now imagine that for 25 minutes in a silent meditation around a circle. 
I have to tell you that by the end of my balloon meditation, I had fallen in love with that balloon, and I was grateful to that balloon, and there wasn't anything false about that whatsoever. It was about recognizing our capacity to be really in touch with our lives. And so to conclude on the note that I started on with Lee and with Greg and me being hashtag proud supervisor, yes, and the fact that it had nothing at all to do with the hurdles and the hoops that they had jumped through and all that they had accomplished, what it really had to do was this which we can recognize and we have recognized. That so much of the joy in this life has nothing at all to do with what we pass through or pass around or pass by or simply pass. The joy in this life has to do with what we are willing to be present for. May you be present. May you be playful today. And during the prayer, please start the balloons again. God of playfulness, playful God, may we recognize that the best prayer is awareness. The best prayer is being willing to let go of the plans, the passing through, the passing by, the passing over, and to allow ourselves to be right here, to allow ourselves to be amazed, to allow ourselves to get unstuck, to allow ourselves to know that scratch the surface of any deep accomplishment any amazing thing we've done, that if there isn't joy there, there may be anxiety. There may be the worry about not enough. May we this day realize the playfulness of this life, ever present, always here, always us. Amen.